All right, guys, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to finish this chapter this morning. Uh, super excited to share, um, as usual. I realize I should probably go back and like do like a search through my messages and see how often I say super excited. But what's funny is I, you can usually tell that I'm always pretty much super excited. So, um, and, and it's not like an always thing, but I, I just typically have a lot of energy when it comes to the word of God and being around you guys. So I blame you. Um, as you're finding Colossians chapter three, and we'll be picking up where we left off last week. I want to, I want to use this as kind of a, an example that should set a picture in our mind to better understand how God designed us. And, and the example I want to use is this. Um, when you think about the term brilliant, a lot of different things will come to mind. It's a lot like looking up a definition in a dictionary. You look it up, you have a first, second, third, like some of these things have a lot of different applications of one single word. And that's because the English language is kind of limited. Um, compared to other languages, but the term brilliant can, can apply to a number of things, something that's glittering, something that's striking, someone who's mentally keen or alert. We can apply it to all those things, but there's another definition of the word brilliant that I want to kind of call our attention to. It's used in reference to a gem, and, and some of you na- may know this, and I'd expect probably more gals would get this when it, ta- when it comes to diamonds and different cuts of diamonds and what those are like. When you're talking about brilliance, in reference to a gem, it's like a diamond that's cut in a particular way um, or form with numerous facets so as to have a special brightness or brilliance. You know, it's interesting because you'll hear, I, at least I've heard pastors a lot of times talk about the different facets of our life. You know, that Christ affects how he should affect every facet of our life. And when you really research where that comes from, you're you're talking in terms of these cut gems, different facets, different angles. Now, one of the three basic cuts for precious gems is the brilliant cut. It's called brilliant. And what's interesting about it is it's a bunch of triangular and um, kite-shaped facets that spread outward from the center of the gem. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? They They come from the inside and spread outward. And as befits its name, the brilliant cut gives off the most, um, scintillation is the word that they'll use of, of any cut. It, it means that it gives off more flashes of light because of the way it's cut. More flashes of light. Now I want you to think about, we talked about this last week, but we studied it a few weeks back in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now think about it in these terms. Every facet of our being, God's design. Every facet of our being, every aspect of our lives, God has designed us in a way that we should be able to shine or show flashes of that light within through that facet, through those cuts. And it's amazing to me to think about it this way because I think about the facets of my life and I think about my family. I think about my wife, I think about my kids, I think about the workplace, I think about when I go shopping at the store, when I do a work project with somebody, you know, all these different areas of our lives, even yes, when we're out driving on the roads, that is a facet of your life from which you can either shine light or bring great darkness into people's lives, right? (laughs) Rage or grace, you know, and we think about these things, we were designed or cut in such a way to allow him to reveal those little fat flashes of light through us in all these areas. It's a reflection of his beauty and grace to people who see us when we allow the design of Jesus to shine. It's what we were made to do, reflect him and not self. And you think about it, you know, you ever, you ever watch it? He went to Jared commercial. You ever notice they put that diamond up and they're twirling it? Why? Changing angles so you see flashes of light. 
God takes our lives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and he puts us up in front of people and goes, look, flash, 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 over and over again. Now, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we letting the Spirit permeate every part of our being so that every time God twists us for the world to see a different angle, they get a flash instead of a ho-hum, right? It shouldn't be dull, 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 dull. And I'm not saying that's like your personality. I'm saying God has empowered us to show his light, to reflect his goodness every time we, people see us from a different angle. Every time. It's to reflect Christ and not self. To find our identity in ourselves apart from him is to cover those facets is to cover those special glimpses that people have into our lives and to prevent them from seeing him so that they see us. It destroys his design when we seize autonomy from God in that way. We should never do it. And so there's examination that comes when Paul starts using these words in Colossians that should catch us. You know, and, and I, I try not to go into individual word study too much. You don't need a lot of word study for the word everything or anything or all you know, and Paul loves these words, do all, everything, in everything, whatever you do. He uses these descriptives all the time. And I think we look at it and go, okay, so when I go to church, no, it shouldn't just be at church. It's everything, every angle that's turned, every facet should reflect him. It doesn't just stop here. It goes home with you. It goes to work with you. It's, it's the Lord absolutely permeating our lives with his goodness and his grace. And people need to see it. They need that. So Paul has challenged us over and over again here in chapter 3 of Colossians, just in this chapter over and over again, to let Christ shine forth from our lives. Let every turn and twist of that brilliant cut show a flash of his goodness and his grace and his mercy and who he is. And it's to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly because that's where all this is going to flow out is the goodness of God within us to sing and offer up thanksgiving to God for all he's done in our lives. So is that kind of an idea for us to think about? Paul's going to twist the gem again. He's going to twist the gem a little bit more, and he's going to talk about the slave-master relationship in his current culture. And I think we can rightly understand this by looking at what's in play in his culture and looking at ours and say this is very much a workman or a workmanship idea. In other words, this is going to give us instruction on how we go about our jobs, how we go about the tasks that we've been given in a very real-world sense. And, and what we're going to see here is the descriptives that he gives. If we look at his culture, we look at the, the people that he was speaking to, it's going to give us a better understanding of, first of all, how much better off we are right now in a society as not being in a slave-master relationship. Boy, are we blessed. But how we should be conducting ourselves how we should be living in light of not just how much we like our job, but who are we doing it for? Who am I doing my job for? And so last week we talked about the family, twist of the gem, a flash of light from the family, from your marriage, from your, your relationship with your kids. And now we're going to twist it and look at, not in a twisted kind of way, but take a different angle. This week Paul's going to talk about the slaves and masters situation and for current understanding workplace attitudes. So, Let's take a look at the text. Colossians chapter 3. We'll pick up in the verse we left off last week, and that's verse 22. And we'll just take this bit by bit and break it down. Paul has finished talking about fathers, don't exasperate your children. 
don't exasperate. He's like, kids, obey your fathers, but or obey your parents. But he says, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Be good fathers. Love them. Pour into them. He says this in verse 22. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. As someone who has been a boss you know, in restaurants, um, had crews under me in construction. I, I've had distribution company that I ran that I had employees underneath me. I want people who work like this to work for me. People that are wholeheartedly pouring into things that have, um, an attitude about them of work that I don't need to be around for them to be trustworthy of that job. And for me, this is the type of person I want to be. This is the type of person I want to be. I want to be a person who works heartily, wholeheartedly, not as a people pleaser, but as someone who has a higher standard. Think about the higher standard. We all live under this higher standard. I think a lot of times we try and establish for ourselves what our standards are. Well, this is the standard I have my, for my house, and so all my kids have to live up to it, and I'm just kind of out here setting the standard. It's funny how often you hear the, that phraseology come from a parent. Don't do as I, I, you know, don't do as I do. Do as I say. You know, like, don't do as I do. do. Do better than that. Don't do what I'm doing. Well, not to get, like, right back at them, but monkey see, monkey do. You know, like, I mean, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. We naturally are going to follow that example of leadership, not what is spoken, but what is lived. We naturally follow leadership that's lived, not, not what's said. Because we recognize that the Savior, we're supposed to model Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus sets a precedent for how life should, should look. He lived it himself. God was like, this is what, how you should live, right? He gave us the law, Old Testament. And then what did he say? You know what? Who fulfilled the law? Jesus. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. So who do we look at for our example of lifestyle? Perfect. You guys are on it. It's on like Donkey Kong now. Okay, here we go. If you compare this section to the family section that talks about husbands, wives, and children and their parents. The slave-master relationship is a much longer section. It's a longer section. You look and you're like, this is a lot more material than just the other two. It's verse, verse, and now we have a section talking about the slave-master relationship. Do you ever wonder why? I ask these kind of questions when I read my Bible. Why? Why is that there? I don't understand. You know, and it's mostly just because I'm too dense and I don't get it. But, but here's the point. The commentator, uh, Curtis Vaughn, said this. It was great. He goes, more than half the people seen on the streets of the great cities of the Roman world were slaves. And this was the status of the majority of professional people, such as teachers, doctors, as well as that of menials and craftsmen. More than half the people that you would come across walking on city streets were slaves to somebody. This is the reality of the Roman world. You wonder why Paul wrote more on it? Here's another factor. That's one key factor. I think that sets a backdrop. Here's what's on the stage. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave from a man called Philemon. You ever read the little letter to Philemon in your Bible? You should. It's great. Philemon was a master of a slave named Onesimus who ran away and came across Paul. Isn't it funny? He ran away from his master who was a believer and ran right to Paul. Somehow, They're like, wow, God works in mysterious ways. Get saved, and what does Paul do? Well, now you're free in Christ. You should just go do whatever you want. No, that's Americanized churchianity. That's not what Paul did. What did Paul do? Sent him back to his master. I'm sending him back to you as a brother. I'm sending him back to you. Hey, look, I got him in better shape for you. But he still had a responsibility to go back to his master. Paul didn't vindicate or free him from that. He goes, no, you have a responsibility. You go back. 
He has a higher standard. So the backdrop could very well be the Roman world, but I think that Paul, it's very easy and believable and likely that he had had some really great conversations with Onesimus about what it was like to be a slave and the situation that he was in. So there's perspective here. There's understanding of the culture and the people. Onesimus was not the only source in Paul's life. But I think he would have been an important one to address this situation. And I think it's important, guys, just as a side note, a brief rabbit trail that can stop in, like, the foreseeable. Like, I'm not going far. But, like, it's important that we have conversations with people before we try to understand their situation. Have conversations with people. Get to know them. Find out what's going on. Don't just make estimates of people's situations and what it's like to be in their work situation. Actually have those conversations, okay? And so, Paul had the opportunity to do this with Onesimus. And these people, um, in his culture, so many of them were in a slave situation. So as he addressed the slaves first, um, he calls this out. And this is what's really interesting, you guys. These people may have been slaves in their culture. That may have been their situation, their status in society. But think about it. They were born-again believers, The ones that he's addressing in this letter to Colossians, he's addressing born-again believers. And so immediately we notice some things about this, which it means they are co-heirs in grace. It means that they do have rights. Remember we talked about how women in this society did not have rights. And we talked about kids in the society. I mean, if parents didn't like them, they could charge them and execute them themselves. That was the Greek world. And so here, how many rights do you think a slave had? How much inheritance do you think they had? Absolutely nothing. They had no worth, no value. And so here, Paul, again, just as we talked about last week, comes in and is like, hey, these people are precious. These people have value. These people have worth, not based on their position in society, based on God's design. They're just the same as us in human being, in being precious and children of God. But not only are they the same in value, they are still accountable to work as well. They're not freed up from that accountability to lay down a lifestyle that reflects Christ, where they are in the situation they're in. Christianity, and this is important for uh, probably all believers alike. For For older believers, we need to remember this. And for young believers, heads up. Christianity never offers escape from hard work. It never does. It enables us to work harder. It doesn't free us from difficult situations. It enables us to rise up within them. God's enabling is a very important aspect of our walk with him to understand because so many times we're looking for a way out instead of a way farther up and further in. Instead of trying to seek God's wisdom, strengthening, and encouragement to push forward into what it is. We have a quit society. We have a society that wants to quit when things aren't going their way, wants to give up when something gets hard. That's not what the Lord has taught us in his word. He says, you keep on going in the strength that I provide and the ability that I give to you. Paul urges slaves to be obedient to their masters in everything, in everything. And again, as noted in our message last week, this excludes orders given to reject God's authority. How do we know that? They're to fear the Lord in doing what they do. They're to fear the Lord as they do it. 
And so, you know, like the teenagers that have come to me so many times, what if my parent asked me to do this? You know, it's like, well, that's really weird because it's always something extreme, like kill someone or run over their cat with a car or something like that. Like, you're demented. That's really weird. But like, I I was looking at, what did your parent actually ask you to do? They're always just asking me to really, just stuff. Like, what stuff? And I'm already grinning because I know where it's going. Vacuum. Pick up my stuff from the floor. Make a sandwich, for goodness sake. You know, like, I mean, and immediately I'm like, just do it. Like, what are you doing? Like, just do it. This has nothing to do with it. Are you sure God wants? Yes, God wants you doing that. He wants you to just obey, okay? You know, it's like, just obey your parents. You know, they're, going to, they're telling me to renounce my faith. That's odd. Uh, don't do it. And I'll, and I'll have a chat with your folks and see why. You know, but like, there's, there's a process of that. And it's very rare that that happens. Most of the time, just people just don't want to obey. And I look at our work situations. A lot of things like, well, my, my boss is just unreasonable. Is he? Maybe he is. I've worked for unreasonable people. Um, I worked in, he's probably going to watch this later and that's okay. I worked for, <laughs> that's okay. I worked for a guy who, who would test, um, how good, and this was good for me, how well I was doing my job in finished carpentry. And so, um, when you're putting a door casing together, I used to hang doors and, and build door casings and all this stuff. You put a door casing together, you have to nail it together and glue it in a certain way so it stays good. It looks like one piece of wood, you know? And if you left a gap behind the wall, there's an easy way to tell. You walk up and you hit it real hard. And if your miter just explodes open, you did a bad job, right? And you have to redo it because now it's broken. And so he'd walk up and look at my door cases. I'm like, oh, no, that one's really bad. He'd look at it. He'd look at me. Oh, it just explodes open. It's like, now, was that my fault or his? Who was upset? Why would you do that? It looked fine, but it wasn't fine. Was it? I need to do the job to the best of my ability, and I had not done that. And so I went back and I did it right. You guys, we have a higher standard. We have a higher standard when it comes to the work that we do. We don't work only while being watched as people pleasers. We work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. We work because God is the one who has set the expectations. And God is the one who enables us to get these things done as well. It's not like God gives you expectation for your life and is like, have fun, failure. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. God says, here's what I've asked you to do. Lord, I can't, and I will empower you to do it. Go get it done. Go get it done. Just put, show up, go to work. There are not exceptions for a worker mindset for image bearers of Christ. In fact, we have a higher standard. Think about this. Look at verse 23. He continues. Here's another whatever. You guys should highlight or underline all of these whatevers in everything, all the stuff through through uh, Colossians. This has been mentioned so many times. We just talked about verse 17 prior. Verse 23, whatever you do. How much does whatever cover? Every, fa- yep, every facet, every twist of that, that brilliant cut. Every facet, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he's done. And there is no favoritism. There have been times in the past where I was working for the paycheck. I was just trying to get the paycheck. 
You know, like, what are you going to put my hours in? What are you going to do when your hours are done? Go home. You know, this place looks terrible. Don't care. You know, like, I put my hours in. And, and we, we chuckle because, like, that's a terrible worker. We've all been there. You know it. Don't you lie to me. Like, we've all been in that place where, like, I am putting in my time. You know, one, a TV show I like to watch, two guys look at each other and go, this is a run-out-the-clock situation. That's what we're in right now. We are running out the clock. Like, we're just trying to get this done and go home. That's not a Christian mindset, guys. And I understand this because I've struggled with it. We have to do it as unto the Lord. We're not just working for a paycheck. We have days that we don't want to go to work. There are days that we don't want to go do the thing that God's tasked us to do. Maybe there are times we don't want to go home because we don't want to deal with that. You're like, oh, I love going to work. I, I don't want to go home. Same story. That's your job. You're like, I never get away from work. Nope. God put you here to labor. You're like, well, I just wish we could go back to before sin because everything. No, it wasn't. What did God put man in the garden to do? Work. <laughs> You're like, was he sweating? Was there poop in, in Eden? I don't know. Don't ask me these kind of questions. These are the things that people ask me when I'm in youth group. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff kids ask. I'm sorry, Barbie. They ask me this stuff. You know, like I... <laughs> I'm killing you over here. I'm sorry. But that's the thing. They're like, really? Did poop stink before God? Don't want Yes, I'm sure that's a sin connection. But here's the point of it. God put man in the garden to work. He built us prior to sin to be laborers, to work the earth, to work the garden. You know, and, and whatever consequences of sin that have come, the thing is, is that we were built to, to labor, to put in effort. And so we have to show up for that to happen. Like, I show up for my job and do a good job and do the best job. I told this to so many young people over the years, and, and it's, it's good for old and young ears together. You guys, it doesn't matter if you're the best at your job. It doesn't matter if you're most talented. Do you know what matters? Effort. Outwork every person around you. I'm not as good at it as this guy. If they give you the task, you work harder than anyone else in that building. And you will excel because you are laying down an example that people look at and go, well, that's not normal. He works so hard. I mean, he's terrible at it, but he works so hard. You know, like he shows up. He's early, early guys get to work early, shows up early. will stay late, cover shifts, works their butt off. I, I encourage my kids with this all the time. You know, it's like, you're not going to be the best. Nobody's the best. Jesus was the best. We, Show up. Show up at your home ready to go. Show up at your job ready to go. Show up at your church ready to go. Show up in your community ready to go. And pour out yourself. You don't have to be the best. God wants you to give it all. Leave it all on the field. I should be a coach. You're like, oh, give me 110%. You know, like, ready to get everyone out there. Like, we're going to go out in the gals. We're like hitting each other up against like, yeah. That's okay. There's a little Pentecostal that shows, and then it goes back inside. So you guys... <laughs> we have choices in these moments. I'm <laughs> like, yes. You guys, we have we have these choices to make. Do I quit? Do I show up just to check a box? Am I just getting through this? Or do I do what God says? Because we can't see the worth in doing a task. Just because we can't see the worth in doing a task. It doesn't relieve us from the responsibility that we have accepted to do it and do it God's way. 
We have not just accepted that task. We have said, as Christians, I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it God's way. What does that immediately make true believers, church, us? What kind of a worker does that make us in comparison with the world? We should run circles. And in my experience, a lot of times people who are motivated for worldly things are much harder workers than those who are motivated for Christ. And I think this is something we have to address. We should outwork the world. And we should rest well in that. I don't want to make this like all about like, now go work yourself to death and, and die young. No, that's not what I'm saying. Like, when God gives you a task, you do it for him. And when God says rest, rest well. Rest good. Like, get some good rest. You know, sleep plenty. Drink water. You know, drink water. Go to sleep. Anyway, tree beard. Um, you guys, do it from the heart. <laughs> My Lord of the Rings fans are like, yes. You guys, do it from the heart because our reward is not, it's not like a worldly rewards membership. I don't know if you guys are super disappointed in memberships. I am. You know, I spend like however much on a lunch. Beep. You now have 1,000 points. Great. When do I get a free one? 30,000 points. 25,000 flight miles gets me where, Jared? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's right. You're like, we are dropping you out of the airlock in 10 minutes. <laughs> like, that's, that's right. You have to pay for the parachute. I had to pay for my check bag, too. How am I going to get that back? It's over you. <laughs> you know, you guys, God's membership plan is so much better. You know, I remember... <laughs> I remember laughing about this at Best Buy once. I was at Best Buy and I was buying something. The guy scans and I was like, how far away am I from five bucks? He's like, like five grand. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm never, I'm not going to spend $5,000 here. My wife goes to yard sales, bro. <laughs> That's not going to happen. You guys, we can't base our efforts on earthly rewards. They're never going to satisfy. They're never going to add up. God has given us salvation in Christ. That's his reward system. When you look at your inheritance, and imagine hearing this, like in, in all this, as encouraging as this is for us, imagine hearing this as a slave. Imagine hearing these words as a slave. Your inheritance is in Christ. And they're like, I thought I was valueless. I thought I didn't matter. If you think that like you're struggling with like personal value, like what am I worth to God? God says to the slaves, to the lowest in society, to the Dalits in India, the ones who are the, the don't care about, throw them away. They're worse than refuse. He says, you have inheritance in Christ. You are the same as every other human being in God's eyes. Amen. That's, that's for people. That's for them to grab hold of and be like, I have a Savior who loves me. He says, that's your inheritance. Don't get caught up at looking at the rewards points of the world because you're going to base what you're going through as like what you're worth. And what you are going through is not your worth. What you are going through is what is refining you to realize that you are worth so much more in Jesus. Amen? So much more. More than you can even understand. And that's the truth of it. Notice this, as Paul speaks to these slaves, this isn't the upper 20% of society. And salvation is the equalizer of human beings. Salvation is the great equalizer. What Jesus has done, he has equalized us in God's eyes. Different roles, different situations, same value. Same precious love of God for you. 
There's no favoritism. He loves every human being he's created and he judges fairly. And this is what he says next. He expects masters and people in positions to judge fairly just like he does. You be fair like me. It's like, wait a minute, I can't treat people like trash? No, you can't. Here's what he says. Look at it. The wrongdoer, verse 25, will be paid back for whatever wrong he's done. There's no favoritism. So masters, this is chapter 4, verse 1. This is all connected. Deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you know that you too have a master in heaven. This is wild talk. This is crazy talk for his culture and absolute biblical truth. Masters, bosses, employers, treat your people fairly. Treat them justly because you aren't the end all. You aren't the one who has the say in everything. You are the one who is under a master in heaven. You are submitted to him as the ultimate authority. Now, through the history of Christianity, and I, I want to I note this because we're talking about slavery. And I just want to note this. This is just supplemental information that totally applies in this section. There have been some who use these passages where Paul talks about slaves and speaks to slaves and their masters, they use it to justify or even promote the practice of slavery. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Others have blamed these passages for the practice of slavery, for basically people vindicating it and saying it's okay. You cannot blame Christianity for slavery, and here's why. It was a universal practice that predated not only Christianity, but it predated the Jewish nation. Slavery's been around a long time. And here's the thing that scripture says to slavery. You should see the Christian mindset and the biblical mindset as the abolition of slavery. It's the thing that ends it. Because God says all these people have value and show grace. We are all together. It brings slaves and rich people together and says you are all worth the same. It doesn't matter here. You are one in Christ. And here's something that we need to remember. Christianity had a huge part in the ending of slavery. And Christian convictions did so. And you don't see that in secularism, and you don't see that in other religions. Christianity changes the mindset to see that all people have value, and that we love one another, and that we call all to a relationship with Christ. And without making an overt protest, <laughs> that's kind of an overt protest, without making an overt protest against slavery, Paul seemed to understand that if he could establish the point that slaves were equals in the body of Christ, full human beings with full responsibilities and rights that they should be treated in a manner both just and fair, then in time, the whole structure of slavery in the Roman Empire would disintegrate. And it did. And it absolutely did. Now, history likes to repeat itself when people get away from the gospel. And it did in our country. Here's something that we need to recognize amongst ourselves. I want no part of that. I want no part of that at all. All of us we want to be those who participate together, who love one another, and who work hard at whatever God has given us to do. Paul speaks to the situations of his time. He is not saying that slavery was something that should be happening. He's saying that if you're in this situation, you can honor Christ even there. You can honor Christ even in the least reflecting, or the circumstance that you think that you can reflect him the least. God can still turn that gem and show a flash of light of his goodness, his grace, and his glory to people. For us, the Christian ethic of mutual obligation that we talked about last week applies to the workplace in our experience. And as we talked about last week, to the home as well. Followers of Christ, whether employees or employers, we're all working for God, and may we never, ever, ever forget that. 
We are all working for the Lord. We are all laboring for Him. You know, it's funny because my, my job is to serve this church, to minister this church, but, but my boss is the Lord the same as He is yours. And I have to do things in a way that honors Him. And so uh, William Barclay said this really well. He said, The real rewards of work are not accessible in earthly values, but will someday be given or withheld by God. I'll say that again. I know it's on the screen behind me. The real rewards of work are not accessible in earthly values, but will someday be given or withheld by God. Don't get caught at looking at the earthly rewards. Don't start identifying yourself as what you bring in or as what your dollar value is or what people think of you. Your identity is hidden in Christ. Who you are is who he says you are. And in Jesus, you're a child. You're his child. You're his brothers, your sisters, your co-heirs in grace. We share the inheritance that Jesus has from God. The business we are in is God's business. We're accountable to him as stewards of the task he's given us. In Colossians 1.16, it's been a while since we've been in Colossians 1, but this is a great reminder. That just view what you're doing in this light. Colossians 1.16, for everything was created by him, speaking of Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, don't miss this, and for him. Everything we are doing as believers is unto him, and it's for him. We are stewards. Fellow believers, we are stewards. We are not owners. We steward the things that God has given to us to hand them back to Him in a better state, more loved, more blessed, more filled up than when we received them. Lord, I took what you gave me and, and here it is back. I was, I was faithful to the task you gave me. It's our job. Your things, created by God. Your family, created by God. Your boss, spawn of the devil. Just kidding. <laughs> created by God. <laughs> Your employees, created by God. All of it, it's the same. You guys, steward everything and everyone that is in your care well. Steward it well. Your families, even, even the work that you've been given, steward it well. And this is why it makes logical sense for us and spiritual sense um, to do whatever we do from the heart and for the Lord if we look at things in the light of it all belongs to Jesus. What if I'm tired as we close, let's just kind of close with this thought. What if I'm tired? What if I'm sick of this? I'm sick of my situation here. I'm sick of my situation over there. I'm worn out from this over here. I don't have anything left to give. What if I'm worn out? That's a real mindset, and it deserves a real answer. When we get fed up and sick of what we're seeing and want to quit, we are forgetting the rewards that he's promised us, and we're focusing on the earthly rewards. And this is not something that I pretend to be easy. This is very, very difficult. But I want us to read. I'm going to put it on the screen. Or actually, Dakota will put it on the screen behind me. This is Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Notice this church, verse 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Amen? Amen. Promise from God. Don't grow tired of doing good. You will reap at the proper time. My time? No, proper time. 
God's timing. Don't give up. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We need to get to work. We need to start putting it in and doing it for the glory of God wholeheartedly, not caring if it's a, if it's a task that pleases people or not. This is the work that God has given me and I will do it with all of my effort and I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're on that brink of just struggling with any aspect of your life, I feel like I'm going to quit. Get some believers around you. Draw some people around you that will encourage you and walk with you and partner with you in this. We need to be people who are walking with the Lord and encouraging each other because I don't know if you realize this, odds are there's a chunk of people in this room that are ready to quit. That's something. And... I can't encourage you enough. Don't give up. Whatever it is you feel like you can't do anymore, you can. If God has given it to you, He will strengthen you for it. And there are situations we can look at and, and we, can, we can say, okay, maybe this isn't something I should do and set that aside. But I, I get the sense that there are so many of us that go through this on a regular basis. I have this thing and I know it's my thing. I know it's what God's given me to do. It's the work He's given me and I don't think I can finish. Don't quit. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. God has given you the task. Let that reaping come in due season. Because your reward is not here. The reward that you will get for the labor you're putting in is not going to be a bonus check. It's inheritance in Christ. That's where our hope is. That's where our reward lies. Look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says, the author and finisher of our faith, run with endurance. And here's the great part. You're not running alone. You are running in team. You are running with family. We're doing this together. All right. Let's pray. God, I, I felt it in first service this morning feel it now. There's labor and work that is going into God, this these tasks that you've given to your people. And Lord, there are people here, just as there was at first service, that I know are just feeling like what they're doing is not mattering anymore. It's not having any effect. Lord, they want to give up. They want to escape. Lord, I think of Onesimus running from his master right, right to the footstep of Paul. And Paul sending him back saying, you have strength now in Jesus to do this thing. And every time we stay the course, every time we don't get discouraged, every time we stay and we continue to pour in and we don't grow weary from doing good and we let you bring that reaping in due season, Lord, it's another turn of that gem for the world around us to see that flash, that reflection of you. And God, I know this is hard. I want out of some situations I'm in right now. But I won't quit. Strengthen these people. Strengthen them not to quit. Give them fresh resolve. Give them a fresh fire. Surround us, Lord, with brothers and sisters 
who pour into us and love us and tell us over and again, what you're doing matters. Honor Christ. Whatever you're doing, do it heartily. Do it with every ounce of your being. Jesus, I thank you that this labor is not in vain. I thank you, Lord, that you are going to be our reward. Show us how to patiently endure. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, as we sing this song. God, as we talk about reckless love, what we know this means, as it was written, Lord, it was written in a way that says, we recognize that your love was not reckless in the sense that it was just thrown out there without care, but that you love us in a way, God, that does, didn't care about the, the, the consequences that you went forward with sending your son for us even though you knew what it was going to cost you. And in that way, we understand reckless to mean that you abandoned the desire that we struggle with to hold on to something special rather than open hand to you. And Lord, you gave us the greatest example of sacrifice through Jesus. So Lord, the things that we are trying to hold on to this morning, I ask that we would open our hand that we would reflect on who you are and what you've done and we would recognize that you love us with such abandon. There's nothing like it. I ask, Lord, that you bless these people, this church, and this moment. Heal our hearts. Fresh resolve. Fresh ability to walk in truth. 